your word and let uh, your Holy Spirit be speaking, Lord. We thank you for today. We thank you that we can be here to worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you hear me? All right. Good. Now I can have two hands to work with. Okay. Who likes to get gifts? All right. Me too. What about when you were a kid? Do you remember? Because I like to get gifts now, but I know when I was a kid, I liked to get gifts a lot more. Do you remember Christmas? Do you remember your birthday? How excited you were for your, to get gifts, to open presents? I remember that was such an exciting time. I can remember, I don't know how many Christmases and birthdays and gifts I got. Um, but as I got older, that went on for many years, but then at a point, that began to change, and maybe some of you have had that same experience. For me, it was probably in my, uh, in my preteen years, my early teen years, all of a sudden, I started to have a shift where it's, it's not that I've ever stopped liking to receive gifts, I still do, but I started to enjoy giving gifts a lot more, and there was a tipping point, I, I remember, when all of a sudden I actually enjoyed giving gifts more than I enjoyed receiving them. I enjoyed shopping to find things for my parents and my brothers that I thought that they would enjoy. I loved giving them to them, watching them, opening them, um, seeing them enjoy them, hopefully. Um, and that really became more of an enjoyment for me. I still enjoy getting the gifts, but I really looked a lot more forward to shopping for them and to giving them gifts. And it was really a, a, what I would call a, you know, a joyful experience to be able to, to give gifts to people you love and to see them get to enjoy it. Um, and now with kids, you get to see that same sort of thing. You get to see the joy that, you, that it brings to them when they get things that they want. Um, and that's what we really enjoy doing. So today I'm going to read... Scripture from, uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. First, I want to give a little bit of background for you about this. So this is a letter uh, to the Corinthian church written by Paul. And he's writing this. Uh, this is his second letter to the church in Corinth. Um, because, and he's addressing, uh, or the background of this, this time, is that the church has been um, plagued with false teachers who were challenging Paul's integrity and his authority as an apostle. So in his letter, he's addressing some of these things. So he is demonstrating his integrity, he is establishing his apostolic authority, and he is instructing those that, who had accepted the grace of God um, not in vain and that were evidenced of this by their repentance. He was instructing them to purify the church of these false teachers and to complete the collection that he had instructed in his first letter to Corinth, which was uh, just several months earlier, um, earlier on the same year. It was just a few months before when he had initially instructed this collection to be taken place uh, for, um, uh, for the citizens, the Christians in Jerusalem, who were, uh, were, were going through a struggle and were being oppressed. So let me go ahead now with that tone set and go ahead and read to you from 2 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has freely distributed. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So today I'm going to be using a combination of some scripture, both from the ESV and the, NF, NF, uh, and the NIV. So if you're, if you're uh, reading along and sometimes you see some different words, that might be why. Um, I'm going to make a couple different passes through, uh, through this text um, based on the, the, the outline, the, des- the design that I've kind of given this. Um, so the first thing that I want to cover about giving is what giving should not be. So, first of all, just to set a little bit of a tone, too, you always go into something preparing to, to talk about something, and you think you have a relatively good idea about it, and then you get to studying it, and studying it, and studying it for hours, and you learn a lot of things. So, there's things that I've had misunderstandings of, misinterpretations of um, my whole life, basically, and just from studying this, there's things I've learned. So, this has been a, a really good experience for me in just really being able to dive into something and learn things that I thought I already knew about. So, uh, again, coming back to this, the, the, first, the first main area I want to cover are uh, what, what giving should not be or what giving maybe doesn't have to be. The first point is a technical tithe. Well, what do I mean by that? Okay, so a tithe originally for, uh, meant a tenth or 10%, so 10% of something. So when I, but now in these days, you often hear people talk about giving tithes and offerings. And really the term tithe has been kind of morphed into meaning an offering in general. It doesn't necessarily, it can, if someone's being very technical, it can mean a tenth, but many times that's not exactly what they mean. And here, what I'm saying giving does not necessarily need to be, I won't actually say this one, it shouldn't be, but what it doesn't necessarily need to be is an actual tithe or a 10%. So the word tithe, or the, 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 this term, was introduced in the Old Testament in the books of the law. Um, it was woven throughout Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You see it in, in many of the books of Moses um, where this was introduced 
it was in the time when there were the 12 tribes of Israel, and 11 of those tribes were allocated land. They were given an inheritance of land. But one tribe, the tribe of Levi, was not given an inheritance of land. God ordained that they were to be the assistants to the priests. So the Levites served as the assistants to the priests. They were not given an inheritance of land. And the command was given to the other 11 tribes who were given land that a tenth of their produce, flocks, and cattle were to be given to the Levites to support them since they didn't have an inheritance of land. Going from there, the Levites actually were commanded to give a tithe or a tenth of what they received to the priests to support them. So you have 10% of of what the other tribes are giving going to the Levites, and then you have 10% of that, so in the end it's 1% of what the, uh, the 11 tribes had goes to the priests. Uh, tithes were also, um, it was, it was uh, instructed in Numbers that, that uh, or sorry, actually in Deuteronomy, that tithes were also to be used to support foreigners, orphans, and widows, so those who weren't able to provide for themselves. So that's the Old Testament. This is set up again back in, in the books of the law, and you see it throughout the Old Testament. However, Most of the Old Testament laws, as many of you know, don't apply to us in this day and time in in New Testament times because that was during the Old Covenant, and now we live in the New Covenant. So once Jesus came, lived on the earth, and died on the cross for our sins, many of these Old Testament laws were were gone, and we see that in the teaching of Jesus as well as uh, many of the apostles. So... um, When you look in the New Testament, after this point, there is actually no doctrine of tithing in the New Testament. There there isn't a place where it says that we should give a tithe or give a tenth to the church, like it said in the Old Testament, or to any particular group. Um, The actually the only there are tithing references in the New Testament, but they're all references to the Old Testament or uh, they're a criticism of motive. So, for example, the Pharisees. Um, there's there's scriptures in Mark or sorry in Matthew and Luke, where um, where Jesus is giving an example of the Pharisee who is boasting about the fact that he gives ten uh, percent, uh, you know, a full ten percent tithe, and thanking God that he's not like the tax collector. Yet at the same time in this, in this story, the tax collector is actually humbling himself before God um, because he knows that he's a sinner. So these are the only references to, to tithe or either a reference back to the Old Testament system or uh, a, a criticism of those who are still giving a tithe. And they're, they're um, actually what, what they're criticized of doing is ignoring more important things such as justice and mercy and focusing on these letters of the law and not living by the spirit of the law. So the second uh, thing that giving should not be is legalistic. In our passage from today, uh, in verse 7, it says, not reluctantly or under, or under compulsion. Uh, so it actually says, uh, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So there's two pieces to this. There's reluctance and compulsion. Reluctance shows that we don't trust God to provide. 
we're reluctant to give because we aren't trusting that he's going to provide for us. The other side of this is, um, uh, is the compulsion. Compulsion means that we're giving for reasons other than God. So we're giving either because we feel like we have to, or we're giving because we think we're going to get something back. We're giving because other people are watching, um, like, like the Pharisee was doing. <clears throat> and again, we see this uh, with the Pharisee in several passages that when, when, when Jesus is, is speaking. The third thing that giving should not be is optional. So we've already seen that, that tithing doesn't need to be, or, a, or giving doesn't need to be a tithe, an official 10% tithe. However, that doesn't mean that it should be optional. Again, looking here in the first couple verses of this passage in 2 Corinthians, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is telling us that we need to give generously. The first part of this in verse 6 we see that actually it's saying that the more we sow, the more we will reap. And then in the second part of this, in, in 7, it's saying each one must give what he's decided in his heart. I guess you could make an argument that in my heart I've decided to give zero, but that's not the intention of what Paul is writing here when he says this, when he says you should give what you have, have um, uh, decided in your heart. So that there's an assumption that this is you're supposed to be giving something. The question is just what. But it's set here that we are supposed to give something. Now let's we'll also uh, just point to a couple other scriptures uh, that 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 uh, direct us to give. So in Matthew 5:42, uh, Jesus instructs us to give to those who ask. And in Matthew 25. Uh, it instructs us to give to those in need. So this kind of looks back like we saw in the Old Testament when it was uh, part of the tithe could go to orphans, widows. Um, this can be the same sort of thing, those in need. And a fourth thing that's drawn out is that this is a bit of a spiritual necessity for us to give. We also see in Matthew where there's the scripture it says, you cannot serve both God and money. Well, if you can't serve both God and money, and let's assume that you're going to choose to serve God, then you need to give everything to God. You need to give God your money, control over your money as well. So if we aren't giving God control over our money and aren't giving to him from everything we have, from our time, from our money, from our, uh, our, our, our thoughts, from our leading then we're not really giving to God all the way. We're still giving to money. And a second reason that, that this could be drawn as a spiritual necessity is that um, from some of the reading I did, uh, found that a lack of giving demonstrates that one doesn't understand the truth of the surpassing glory and surpassing grace of God that's revealed in Christ. And these are actually, this comes from, from our from. Uh, from 2 Corinthians. So in our passage, it talks about the surpassing grace of God 
earlier in Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 3, it talks about the surpassing glory. Um, Paul uses this, this adjective, uh, surpassing, at least three times, if not more, just in 2 Corinthians alone. He seems to find this a very appropriate word. And surpassing means exceeding or more than you would expect. This surpassing glory and surpassing grace that he's referring to here in, in Corinthians is um, and, and of what has God has revealed in Christ. So this is referring to the new covenant. So with Jesus uh, having come and died on the cross for our sins and entering this new covenant, God, this is a surpassing glory. This glory that God has has given to Christ is beyond anything that we could imagine. And the surpassing grace, we could never have asked for anything like this, for, for God to choose his own son to come and live a perfect life on earth and die in our place, a substitutionary death, for us to be able to be reconciled to God and still go to heaven one day. So that is grace that surpasses anything that we would expect. So in light of this, again, it's a spiritual necessity for us to understand this grace that has been given to us and extend grace to others by giving of our, of our money and our finances. So that's covered some things that giving should not be or does not have to be. Now I'd like to talk about some things that giving should be. And... In the first part, we had a lot of references. We had references within our text and, and then in other parts of Scripture as well. Here, this is going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of bulk from, from our actual uh, passage. So the first thing that giving should be is an expression of our faith. This would be in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do for us. The scripture says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Uh, sorry, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So what we see here is what God has done for us and what God will do for us. In terms of, he will make all grace abound to us. So that means that he will give all grace to us that we need and all sufficiency in all things at all times, that we may do every good work for him. So, we see that God has done for us, and we are supposed to trust that God will continue. If we look at the track record with God in your life, if you think about, has he provided for you? Has he brought you through tough times? Is he bringing you through tough times now? Some of us, maybe not right now, we're not experiencing that. But others, I'm sure there are, there are some of us here, there, there's always someone in our midst who is struggling, and we need to lean on God for this. 
and show that this act of faith. And the last thing about this is that everything comes from God. And we saw this in the uh, scripture reading that, that Brian read earlier in the service, which was from First Chronicles, where we see um, that David has, David has taken up a collection for the building of the temple and the furnishing of the temple, and the people have overwhelmingly responded and given. And David prays to the Lord um, a song of praise and thanksgiving, and he asks God, he says, who are we that we can give to you? Nothing that we have to give to you is from us. It's all from you to begin with. Everything that we have was yours. Everything has been given to us from you, and we're only giving it back. So this is another reason that we should trust that God will provide for us and that we should give as an expression of our faith, an expression of, uh, of our faith that we know from 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 our historical experience, as well as from the, what the scriptures say, that we, should, um, that we should have faith in God. So the next thing that giving should be is cheerful or joyous. So once this first point, once this faith in the grace of God has taken shape, then we have the foundation necessary to give cheerfully. Because once we understand this grace that God has given us, the, the grace that he's extended to us throughout our lives and continue to give us things that we don't deserve, then we can begin to trust that he's going to continue to do that. It's kind of like a child with their parent, right? Hopefully your, chi- your child, until they become a teenager probably, uh, your child tends to trust you. They learn that they can trust you and that you're going to provide for them. And it's likewise here in our relationship with our Heavenly Father is that we have learned that he's going to provide for us. So once we've seen this taken shape, then we have this foundation, and we can give cheerfully and joyously to the Lord because we know that he is going to provide for us. So it's no longer this maybe bit of reluctance um, where we're not trusting God to provide, but we can joyously give because we know that what we're going to give, God is going to take care of us. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we see here that God loves a cheerful giver. We have given because of the joy we have regarding what God has done for us, not because of the gratitude we have regarding how we feel about what God has done for us. So I know that's a little bit interesting. Let's say this again. We give because of the joy we have regarding what God has done for us. So we're joyful about what God has done in our lives. It's not that we're actually being thankful for for, uh, how we feel about what he's done for us. I'm going to read three different segments, actually, um, uh, three three quotes in a row I will read that are from uh, John Piper uh, in his book, Future Grace. He says, Gratitude is a beautiful and utterly indispensable Christian affection. No one is saved who doesn't have it. But you will search the Bible in vain for explicit connections between gratitude and obedience. Gratitude was never designed as the primary motivation for radical Christian obedience. Gratitude is a beautiful thing. There is no Christianity without it. It is at the heart of worship. But when it comes to spelling out the spiritual dynamics of how practical Christian obedience happens, like giving money, 
the Bible does not say that it comes from the backward gaze of gratitude, but that it comes from the forward gaze of faith. And if love is the overjoy or the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of other people, and if God loves such joyful givers, then this joy in giving is a Christian duty, and the effort not to pursue it is sin. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. It is the impulse of a fountain to overflow. It originates in the grace of God, which overflows freely because it delights to fill the empty. Love shares the nature of that grace because it too delights to overflow freely to meet the needs of others. So we see here that what John Piper is saying, he is pulling out of the text these, these same things about giving joyously and giving because of the grace that we understand that God is giving us, which is forward-looking. We, we, we look back and we're thankful about what God has done, but we're stepping out in an act of faith when we give joyously and give to stretch ourselves, maybe beyond what's comfortable for us, because we have faith in what God is doing, because we've seen the grace and we know that his grace will continue. The next part, the next thing that giving should be is willing. So we, we saw this, uh, we already read this previously. In the middle of verse 7, it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So we talked about that in the, in the negative sense before of not being legalistic. But looking at that on the flip side, what that means if we're, if we're not doing it reluctantly under compulsion, we're doing it willingly. God willingly gave to us first. He chose to create us. He chose to give us, to give us life. He chose to give us the earth to live in and to rule over. And he chose to give us his son to forgive us of our sins after um, we had, after we became a sinful people and after we continued to sin against him. And, after, and we continue to sin against him today. So we always see that God is willingly giving to us first. So as an act of worship, we should be willingly giving back to God. If we don't, it indicates that we aren't one of God's people to begin with because we don't understand what God has done for us. If we're not willing to give to God, then we must not see what God has, has done for us and that he's willing to give to us so much more than we can even possibly give to him. And confidence in God providing for us in the future makes us willing to give in the present. We've already kind of touched on this, but that confidence of what God will do in the future is what gives us this lack of reluctance that we talked about earlier to go ahead and give in the present time to help benefit others, to benefit the church, to benefit missions, to benefit those in our community, um, to benefit those around the world that have less than we do and that we can reach out to in the name of Christ. Giving should also be generous. From the, in the, the NIV, it says... Um, I like the the NIV translation of this in verse 6, where it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So it's pretty explicit there that that there's this this return in in play. So 
by sowing sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. So if we don't put much in, we won't get much out. But if we sow generously, if we are giving generously, then we will also be given to generously by, by the Lord. So a big question in this area comes up when we talk about, we're talking about giving, we're now talking about generous giving. So the big question many people have is, well, how much? You've already said that um, it doesn't need to be a tithe. It's not, it doesn't need to be 10%. So how much are we supposed to give? Well, we saw in the scripture in there, it says generous. But um, we also have in uh, chapter 8, verse 12, so just in the previous chapter, because in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 um, are kind of one flow of thought that are all having to do with giving and with, um, uh, with the collection that's going to be taken. So looking back earlier, um, before our passage in chapter 8, verse 12, it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So this again is saying that, the, uh, that there's not an expectation of us giving X amount. It's based on what we have and what we're able to give. However, you can see that Paul's perspective on this is actually that all we, that we should give all we can to meet as many needs as we can in order to glorify God as much as we can. And you can see this from the passage in chapter 9 in our main text, verses 8 to 11, as well as looking back to, um, back to chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, which is where Paul first transitions into this. And uh, there he actually says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So we can see here in in Paul, and if you keep reading, in in his recount of this, in his praise of this, that this is what he actually thinks. And we see this in chapter 9 as well, that... We're only, we only have to give from, from what we have, but we really should be giving as much as we can. So we don't necessarily need to set a bar at 5% or 10% or whatever it might be. It's going to be what we can give, which for different people, that's going to be different things. For people that have higher incomes, what they can give will be more. Unless they're living a, a lifestyle high in materialism, then they're not going to have more to give. Someone who has less income is going to have less disposable income to give, so they won't be able to give as much. But we have the, uh, the, ref- the scripture that many of you are familiar with, I'm sure, where it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. A quote I read talking about giving says, Our problem is usually not that we are in danger of harming ourselves by giving too much. So rarely that's the case. On the counter, what he was saying is we're actually more often in danger of not giving enough because we're not really trusting God and showing that 
that we're, we have an, uh, an, an expression of faith in our giving. We're giving what's comfortable. So he says, rarely is it that we're in danger of harming ourselves by giving too much. So statistically, Christians give away approximately 2% of their income every year. And that is pretty comparable. Uh, that's, that's basically comparable to what non-Christians give as well. So there's not much disparity between what Christians give versus what non-Christians give. And that 2% that Christians give away is, is the total of what they give away on average. So not necessarily that's, they're not saying this is what they give as their offering to their church. This is what they give in total to all charitable organizations, whether that's the church, another Christian organ, nonprofit, other um, secular nonprofits, or whatever it might be. So we can see that the two percent is a is 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 a long cry from the the tithe that was uh, mandated in the Old Testament. Again, that's not that's not necessarily our benchmark now, but many things that that I've read have actually encouraged that they think that you should really be giving more than ten percent. That if you look at the fact that that Christians are giving. Um, 2% of their income every year, that means 98% is what they're living on. And for some that are, have lower income, they need most of that 98% or all of that 98% to actually just provide for their basic necessities. But for many of us, we don't need 98% to actually get by. We're living a life that's easy. We go out to eat. We um, drive nice cars. We do lots of things. We go on nice vacations. And there's nothing in Scripture that says we shouldn't be doing anything for ourselves, but it's just something to think about in that where are we on the scale of stretching ourselves and giving faithfully to God to further his kingdom? And we'll never give away more than what's comfortable if we don't have this faith that God will take care of us in the future. So as I mentioned before, we need to look at God's track record with us and realize that he provides for us, and we need to pray about it and challenge ourselves. Do we need to give more? Maybe we don't. Uh, I'm not saying that, every, that, that each, of us, each of us does, but it's something that we each need to think about and reflect on, to, to reflect on this scripture and other passages in the New Testament that talk about giving, to pray about it, and to consider, are we being faithful to God? Are we living in an act of faith? Are we giving cheerfully and joyously? Are we giving willingly? Are we giving generously? Are we not doing out of reluctance or compulsion? These are just things that we need to take time and consider. Just like you hopefully sit down and review your finances every once in a while in general and look at what you're doing, it's also something for us to reflect on spiritually regarding our finances and how we're, how we're giving. So we've talked a little bit about how much which again, there is no exact number. It's not like the Old Testament where we have, have a mandate. But another question is, when and how do we give? Uh, so from, uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, this is actually where, the, um, where Paul first uh, instructed on the collection. So again, in 1 Corinthians, he instructed on the collection. Here in 2 Corinthians, our text that we're reading today is where he is um, reiterating this, telling the Corinthians to pick back up the collection and to finish it before um, Titus and Paul eventually come. So uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, 
Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So he wasn't actually instructing that you, that you need to come and give your offering at church every week, but what he was instructing was that on a regular basis, and at this time he was instructing weekly, on a regular basis, you need to be setting aside that money and not waiting until all of a sudden it's been a long period of time and you need to give because then that's much more challenging and it may, you may find it hard. This is, this is pointing at the still what's a principle from the Old Testament when there were the first instructions on giving tithes. It talked about tithing and giving your first fruits. So what that meant was Whenever you essentially got paid, well, at the time it was when you took your harvest or when you had your, your animals that you were going to slaughter or sell. Um, and, and in times today, it would be more, most of us with financial income, taking the first fruits. So as soon as we get paid, we've we already set aside what we are going to, to, to give. Because if we wait three months, six months, a year down the line, and then say, oh, now I need to give whatever amount I had felt led to give, it's probably going to be much more challenging. Let's just take the 10%, for example. If you wait till the end of the year and then say, oh, I haven't, I haven't tithed or given, you know, given uh, to um, the church and to the poor all year, and now I want to give that 10% I said at the beginning of the year I was going to be doing, there's a good chance that you're going to have spent that money or it's going to be tied up and or it's just going to be extremely painful to take that large chunk out. So this is why Paul gives us what's just sound financial advice in setting it aside on a regular basis. It's really just budgeting, which is, is, uh, is just basic finances. So this is a good, a good uh, instruction in 1 Corinthians as well as principle from the Old Testament, the first fruit. We can also look, there's lots of other ways today in looking at how to be, um, how to maintain integrity with our finances. Um, Many of you have probably heard of Dave Ramsey. Um, he has a course called Financial Peace University. There's other courses. Um, uh, there's one called uh, Crown Financial Studies. There's lots and lots, and I'm not going to necessarily advocate for any particular one. I'm just encouraging that if you haven't taken a Christian-based financial management class, I highly recommend that you look at doing that. Um, I, uh, Heather and I actually took this, I think it was right after we got married, um, we, we were um, shepherded through this by a couple that's in their 50s, um, and they took several younger couples through this. And Heather and I always had a, a pretty good um, handle and management on our finances, but we still learned a lot from this class. And we actually thought it was so valuable that um, about two or three years later, when we were leading a small group or a home group at our church in the States, um, we took... The, uh, that group through it. And it was still enlightening for Heather and I to go through it a second time. There's lots of principles in this that just help you to manage your finances with integrity, how to learn about some basic financial things that you may not have been taught about in school or from your parents, and that, that just help you learn how to budget and set aside your money so that you can, one, live live a good life more easily without stressing about finances, but more importantly, how you can be giving these first fruits to God and actually giving even more to God. So um, 
So I definitely encourage that as a, as a practical application of how to give generously is, is uh, looking at this. And if you want more information about um, different types of, of classes or courses like this, please uh, feel free to talk to me about it, and I'd be happy to give you those resources. Okay, so now I want to move on to the next section. We've talked about giving what giving should not be. We've talked about what giving should be. And now we're going to talk about what giving produces. So first off, giving produces blessings from God. We see this woven throughout verses 6 through 11. The first thing I want to say, though, is these maybe aren't necessarily what you're thinking about initially. Because I know for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I hear blessings, I immediately think of material things. It's rare that my first thought goes to, oh, I'm going to be spiritually blessed. Usually I'm thinking, oh, somebody's going to give me something physical, tangible. You know, it's going to be money. It's going to be, you know, something nice. They're going to take me to dinner. I don't know what it might be. But my mind defaults in my sinful nature to thinking of something that's material. Um, but that's not necessarily what we're going to see here. You could read this scripture, and with that mindset, you could draw out of the scripture, or actually really you'd be putting into the scripture um, these ideas of material things. But if we really understand this and look at what Paul is basing the, the things that he's saying on, we actually can take from the scripture that he's referring to things not necessarily material. They may be. There might be things that are material that you get from this, but that's not what he is explicitly saying. So the first uh, verse that I want to look at, I'm going to look at a couple of the pieces here. Um, The first one is in verse 6, which we've read a couple times already, but it's one of the key verses. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So and what I'm going to talk about here, I actually forgot this subsection. Uh, This is... A blessing of grand proportions is what I have, have, have named this. So essentially what this, piece, what this scripture is saying here, this verse, you reap what you sow. I know we've all, we've all heard this before. And there's actually variations of this concept found throughout the Bible, from Psalms and Proverbs to the wisdom um, uh, books in the Old Testament, the gospel, um, I think it's Hebrews, and even into Revelation we see there are different uh, concepts of this, you reap what you sow. So it's a very, very common phrase in the Bible and even still today in life. Um, Looking at this verse, though, uh, I I mentioned before I read this specific verse now that I pulled this out from the NIV because I like what it does in the second part. uh, It talks about generously. So whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Um, But more literally translated from the Greek, generously actually is with blessing. So if we read this with that filter on it, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. That kind of changes your mindset about it. At least it does for me. I start to think about it differently when the word blessing is there rather than the word generously. The emphasis on giving generously because of the understanding that God blesses in proportion to those who bless others. So that's how they got to this generous from the blessing. 
the emphasis is on giving generously because we understand that God blesses in proportion. Um, sorry, God blesses in proportion those who bless others. So there is a return component to this here. It says basically the more we are blessing others, the more God will bless us. So the caveat here, though, is that with blessing means that we aren't giving in order to get. So that kind of changes that because this whole exchange or return component, the, f- the first thing you might think is, oh, well, yes, I do want to give more generously so I can get more generously, or I want to bless others more so I can be blessed more. But once you're putting that, that, that filter on it of blessing rather than generous, we have to understand that if we are actually giving with blessing, we're not giving in order to get. Blessing someone does not have, have that, that, um, that component to it. Um, we're blessing purely for the good of others. So we're not looking at what we get in return. So hence the reason that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We have to give based on what we've decided in our heart to bl- how much it's an outpouring of what the character of our heart is, how much we want to bless others. And then based on that character and how much we bless others, that's how God will bless us in return. So even under the Old Testament law of tithing, this, uh, this verse is mirrored in Deuteronomy 15.10, where it says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So we see here in the Old Testament, so the, there, there's Paul's here in the New Testament writing in Corinthians, but there's a direct correlation to something we see in the Old Testament. You give generously without a grudging, without a grudging heart, and the Lord God will bless us in all our work and everything we put our hand to. And this also ties back to the previous chapter in 2 Corinthians where it says that um, where, where the grace of God was bestowed as a ro- result of generosity. So we already, we already read this talking about, um, about uh, we want to know, brothers, about the grace of, that God has been given among the church of Macedonia. For in a sincere test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So we see right there in the beginning about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That grace was given to them because of how generous they gave to others that were in need. The... So that was a blessing of grand proportions. Now I'd also like to talk about another blessing from God, and that is a gracious means to being righteous. So picking up where we left off after verses 6 and 7, we hit verse 8, which says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So this is saying God is able to pour out as much grace as is necessary to enable us to complete any task for him. So if we are serving him and, and doing his will, he will 
pour out whatever it is we need. And this grace, this is where this, this may be spiritual grace we 